Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Carol Hooven, who is the co-director and lecturer at Harvard University's Department of Evolutionary Biology. Last year, last summer, to be more precise, she published this book called T, the story of testosterone, the hormone that something D's us, dominates and divides us. Yeah, that was the D I was thinking about. And in this conversation, we talk about testosterone, we talk about masculinity, femininity, toxicity, and cars. She's a wonderful guest, and it was an absolute pleasure to have her on. So without further ado, here is Carol Hooven in Calm Versation. I had a masculine confession I wanted to start with, though. Okay. So I was driving. Wait, down first, the... can you define what a masculine confession is in your well, view? Well, I, I think I think the content will define the category. Okay. Sorry, I'm turning off my my mail. I forgot to do. I don't. Know you how can to sign tell me if this is a not masculine confession. It, it was just. It was very startlingly masculine, and I didn't expect this to happen to me. Okay. So I was driving down the road. There's this long road uh, that connects one part of the outskirts of the city to the skirts of the city, or maybe the uh, <laughs> the the what's right under the skirt. I always get confused. With oh the Jesus! With it's already becoming a masculine slip? something or okay. other. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're no slip. So, no, uh, right, we're not we're, in like 1930. Okay. Um, so, but it's a long stretch of uh, of road, and you know the, the posted speed speed limit's thirty five, but everybody goes fifty on it because there's nothing there, other than some sort of like pseudo or quasi environmental gardening thing that goes with a lot of that bark chips and like weird kind of shrubs. Well, is it a residential area? There's nothing there. Uh, I mean, there's a mat okay. a discount mattress store if you want to get like a secondhand bouncy thing for your play times but other than okay. that it's just a road you know and there's the uh, the actual farmers not a farmer's market but there's this little grocery store so i'm going through there and there's also this intersection which is just a, a really stupid intersection because the light turns red when people want to turn right so like it just everybody has to stop so okay. one person can turn right so I'm I'm going up this long hill. I'm in my little tiny Yaris that my mom gave me, you know, uh, this little white Yaris, and and the light turns yellow, and I just kind of slide through it because it's not red, you know. And this guy's mm -hmm. waiting to turn, and then he just guns after me for like this two mile stretch of road, and he's just gunning after me, and he's right. Wait, he's sorry, just, can you say again exactly what you did wrong to piss him off, or what you did to piss him off? I I went through that yellow, and I was going probably. But what did that prevent him from doing? He just was going to turn right, and I was. There, it's, it's two lanes too, so he could have. Okay. turned So he guns after me. We get to the okay. stoplight, and he just starts yelling at me. Well, not yelling okay. at me. It was kind of passive aggressive. He's just like clenching his steering wheel, and he's like, "Let's just go faster and die. Let's all just die and drive fast." And he's just yelling. I'm like, "Whoa, this is really." Oh, crazy. okay. So you just violated a rule that was important to him. Or a law. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even a law. You're allowed to go through a yellow light, but it's yeah. maybe not a good idea. He thought you were being reckless. Yes. So he and decided to follow you and 
yeah. potentially challenge you. And I get to the, I get to my appointment. I remember it was appointment cause I had to do a drug. I get randomly assigned drug tests cause this YouTube business, you have to stay clean or else they, they won't. Uh, Wait, what? I'm totally kidding. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. I'm a little gullible, I guess. Um, what do you, well, now you have to say why you're getting, a, were you really getting? Well, a no, test? my, my other job, my blue collar job, it, it, it deals in transportation. I transport semi, uh, sentient cargo, uh, twice a day, uh, to and from where they become more. Okay, you'll have to tell us about that later. Yeah. So anyway, so I get to the, the I'm, I'm almost done with my masculine confession. Maybe it's not masculine. You can decide. And I'm sitting there and like all that adrenaline's, uh, I'm sitting there waiting for the, you know, to go pee into a cup and, uh, and all that adrenaline's just going through me. I'm like, oh man, this just doesn't feel good. Like, ah, I don't like this. I don't like this. And then I just got really like, I just got fed up with it. I'm like, you know what? I want a sports car. I, I don't even care if I go fast. I want to look fast. And I just, I became totally obsessed with sports cars. And over the last six months, I've like learned everything I can about how combustion engines work and mm -hmm. limited mm -hmm. slip differentials and transmissions mm -hmm. and stuff. And Do you watch the videos uh, that review various cars? Like there's this great British one now. I can't remember what it's called. Um, the British guy. So you're you're really doing research. You're watching yeah. the reviews. You're reading. I went through the same process for oh. like six months, and I loved it. It's a fascinating yeah. process because you really start to think about what particular elements of the car are appealing mm -hmm. and why you value certain elements over others, like mm -hmm. handling versus what you're signaling to yeah. somebody else. You know, versus safety. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have to sort of choose those elements. I think it's really an interesting process i enjoyed that what what sparked process. your uh, it's very addictive your, your uh, addictive automotive we just uh, had story. to buy a new car oh, okay and it's a major purchase and i yeah. do research so when i'm confronted with any big question i just want to dive into it and get as much information as possible and i get addicted to that and i could i went down a rabbit hole with the car research i couldn't believe how much i was enjoying it um, and how interesting it is because you really have to think about your psycho your psychology hmm. in a way that I hadn't thought about. So what do you, so you're looking, it sounds like you're driven by a need to signal to other men hmm. that you're what in control, powerful, wealthy, or, or, or what, what would you just, uh, just like say? speedy, just, you know, like, so I ended up, uh, I, it'll be here next week. It's this tiny little... You got, you're getting it? You yeah. made a decision? It's the weirdest thing. Can you thing. say what you're getting? Or yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a Toyota GR86, and it's uh, it's it's this tiny light okay. little. That sports sounds very car. specialized. Okay. Yeah, and it, they partnered with Subaru to make this little thing. Yeah, and um, it's rather affordable. So it's it's like a two seater, or it's technically a four seater, but you'd have okay. to saw off your friend's legs if you wanted to drive around with more than one of them at a time. You know, it's, it's okay. Of, yeah. And so it's just I test drove a few cars like that. And it was a oh. blast, but I felt like well, I have a kid, first yeah. of all. Okay. What, <laughs> did you, what did you end up? Well, we uh, ended getting? up getting a Volvo V60, okay. yeah. um, which had the right con. I love, love, love the car. Um, it had the, you know, perfect combination of traits for our hmm. needs. Um, but I think if I were, I, yeah, when I was younger, I had a little sportier cars but it's interesting that af right after that interaction you had this desire 
that's the piece that's missing here is for you to explain that relationship. The, the relationship the between, uh, yeah. between your interaction with this guy yeah. and your desire to get this specific kind of car. And I'm curious why those specific, um, why speed and handling became so mm-hmm. important to you. Yeah. Is it just cause you really, it sounds like it's not because you really enjoy, or is it because you really enjoy that part of driving and that's important to you? Or is it more about like what you're signaling? I, I don't think it's what I'm signaling, but I'm not sure. Okay. It's more about having a lot of control and feeling ah, um, okay. feeling connected to the road and feeling yeah. connected to the driving experience. Because I've been, after I graduated from the Evergreen State College, I, I, this YouTube thing started happening and I needed a, another job because this YouTube thing could stop happening at any moment. And I started doing transportation work. So I had to start thinking about the road and, and the handling and stuff, but that I just want to see. So you do a lot of driving. Yeah. Um, that's part in your personal car, not in a car that's associated with the company or um, it it's, it's a government entity or, or something that's very close to a government entity, but um, okay. no, I, I, I but they're just down the road too. I mean, it, I I yeah. just work locally, and I'm connected with this community, and I just transport okay. the the offspring of of uh, this little peninsula back and forth to. Sorry, what do you mean by offspring of the little peninsula? Okay, so if people don't sink their entire sexuality in in pornographic media, they they can end up having a pair bond and then producing offspring. And then those offspring need to be handled, like trained to be like smart. Wait, they can produce offspring even if they do um, sink most of their time into pornography. Well, yeah, okay, regardless of... a shitload of pornography. Wait, what? Anyway, I said plenty of dads watch a shitload of pornography. I'm saying those two things aren't totally incompatible. Exclusive, yeah. yeah I, that was a bad yes. joke, but I'm speaking with a scientist. Oh, sorry. I keep so. missing your no. I, That's I, something I, that I actually do in general. It's not you. I take things too literally. So, okay. sorry. I, I just wonder if that's an evolutionary trait. Okay, literalism. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Hold on. So, you're transporting your... Wait. I, no. Your? Okay, so I... Uh, you, don't have, you don't have... I drive a school I, I drive a school bus. Big yellow thing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. Do you talk about this much on your show here? Every once in a while it comes out, but... Wow. Yeah. That must uh, be an interesting... It's perfect. How old are the kids? Kindergarten through eighth grade. Wow. What do they call you? Uh... Benjamin or bus driver or Mr. Bus driver. (laughs) They don't really call me anything. They call me Benjamin when they need my attention. You must really get to know them. Yeah. Within that window to and from, I I get to know them. I mean, the the eighth graders are kind of like sullen and their phones and, you know, yeah, have a good day. One girl every day. Hi. Like, have a good night. Have a good night. (laughs) Yeah. But the problem is they all have these masks on, so I don't really. There's a there's a disconnect um, because of that. But oh right right. Ugh. The younger kids are are more open. I, I can I can uh, connect with them. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, but it's okay. A, so about the masculine confession. Why yeah. did you? Why, uh, I'm not sure why you frame this as a masculine confession. Well, I was just I was just thinking about that um, in relationship to tea. 
the story okay. of testosterone and the hormone that def- dominates and defines us. Divides. Thank you. Defines. Your no, book. divides, divides. Excellent Not cover, defined. by the way. You lucked out on this. Oh, really? Yeah, no, the, I the did the red. initial design for that. Oh, no way. And then sent it. Yeah. Wait, is that talent. right? No, no, sorry. I think that's right. Um, it was a while ago, yeah, I'm pretty right? pretty sure I did. It was a little, yeah, a um, year and a half ago or something. I mean that the cover was designed, but oh, it just came. It Karen came out Horton. like six months ago. Yeah. Um, Anyways, so the yeah, I was just I was just thinking in relationship to uh, you know that was the most masculine thing that's happened to me in a while. But I guess most well, you've of my grown a beard. Well, no, I have grown a beard. I have a little bit of a so neck beard something. that I'm trying to hide because that's a incel signal. I don't want to signal to people. The neck yeah. beard? I don't know. Okay. Is that a I just, joke? I just been letting it. I don't, they call them neck beards. I think they call okay. like certain troglodyte <laughs> males are okay. referred to as neck beards. It's like kind of like the masculine form of mouth breathing, I guess. Not having like mm-hmm. a, a clear shelf underneath your jaw. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm trying um, to tuck it all. Uh, post it out. Yeah. No, I think I don't have data. Um, I don't have clear data, but anecdotally, I would say that, yeah, more men than women are buying sports cars. Yeah. Well, all Um, the videos, you know, pretty much. Picture men. Dudes. Well, there's a couple of marketed at they're marketed at dudes, but there must be hot women leaning on the cars or something. I did find some like just today. um, I found because every day I I look at YouTube, see if any more footage because it's a brand new car. It's not even really released yet. Um, So, you know, there but there was in Thailand. There were some girls, um, model girls with excess experience. Exposure Large breasts. The, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 they're, yeah, they're yeah. No, so I guess the idea is that, yeah, this is if you drive this car, you will be able to. But I, you know, it doesn't seem that I think like, it's with large press. It seems that that sort of um, media is kind of gone by the wayside. It doesn't seem like uh, sexuality in cars, at least on YouTube. But I'm just watching yeah. these YouTube videos. They're just these bros that go out and just drive these cars and tell you everything that right and they're really into it yeah and they're really, they just know so much about yeah, it yeah no i think i i don't really see that as a masculine expression uh confession personally okay. because i can just see the appeal of that kind of car if you if you like driving if you're in a car a lot if it's fun if you get off on the handling etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um if you were you know married and had kids and we're having some sort of midlife crisis that might be a different yeah yeah. Okay. Situation. Yeah. So I would have to get married, have kids, and then be two years older than I am now for this to be a masculine confession. Well, how old are you now? Forty-five. No. When, like when's ten years. Life? Oh, really? Uh, I'm fifty-five. Uh, well, I'm fifty-five. So, <laughs> so forty-five can't be midlife. Jesus Christ. Oh, gee. Okay. You, you just wanted to keep yeah. on going. <laughs> okay. That's fine. I yeah. Every every ten years, I try to have a midlife crisis just to hedge my bets. You know, you never know when it's gonna yeah. mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. So, um, you've done a lot of these interviews on on this book. You you were on Rogan right this summer. I, I remember. That, that was my very first podcast. My very first time talking publicly uh, <laughs> about the book. I hardly you know I was a total nobody. Um, 
before that. And then the first thing I got was Rogan. And I had to, I went through media training. I was so nervous oh. about, the, well, this was with the UK wanted me to have media training because their media are a little more kind of gotcha. Yeah. But they've been basically fine, but they wanted to prepare me for how not to get all caught up in the questions and to control the, you know, narrative and kind of answer whatever question I wanted to answer. Um, so that helped to some extent, but then I just kind of said, fuck it, I'm going to just be myself. Um, and so Joe, yeah, I mean, they flew me out there first class. He, he gets a lot of crap, but he was amazing. Like he was, so, I'll probably, I, I cried like five times on that show, but he was just so made me feel so comfortable. And I had a beer. I was drinking a beer out of that mug there and he drank like whiskey or I don't know what. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was weird to have that be my very first you know, it's kinda like podcast. And it was way before the book came out. So that was too bad because I keep wishing like that, that could have coincided with bit. the book, yeah. but I should not complain at all about that. And when did it, when did the, the book actually get published then? Was it in July? August? Oh, July. Okay. July. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so you've been, uh, speaking about it on and off or doing these, uh, talks about it and yeah, so, the pace is slowing down. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So and the, that's the bouncy ball is kind of do, 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 do. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. Is there, is, is there things that you haven't, um, gone into with it yet? Uh, territory that hasn't been explored or expounded on? Well, the book, there's a lot of science, like real science in the book, a lot of biology. Mechanisms. Um, I and I love that stuff. And I try to make that, um, fun and engaging and, you know, palatable, um, so I haven't really, that's the stuff that people really don't want to hear about the sort of more detailed mm -hmm. stuff. And that's fine. Um, what, yeah, I guess I was talking to you earlier about, um, this idea of toxic masculinity, um, and what has happened, I think, as, a, as I've gone through this course of these discussions is I had an intuition about that concept and that term. And, you know, I hadn't really fleshed out my thoughts and reasoning there. I just had this gut reaction that this is not helpful uh, for men or for society. Um, but I had a lot of conversations, I have to say, particularly with my hairdresser, who has been, is just, I love talking to him. Um, he's a smaller gay man and he's really smart and really interesting. And he, last time I saw him, so he challenges me on various ideas. And this one in particular, he said, when he goes to the gym and this hurt to hear, I probably start crying again. When he goes to the gym and lift weights, he's in fantastic shape. But again, he's a little bit smaller. Um, he he says he gets sort of low level bullied from some of the bigger guys in the gym. And he's like, that's toxic. That's toxic masculinity. And it's awful and blah, blah, blah. And I know. And then, you know, hmm. the reason I don't like the term is because I feel like it's unfair to men and it, it, um, 
suggests that masculinity itself is toxic. And that is just not the case. Of course, the extremes, the negative sort of extremes of masculine behavior are something we need to deal with, obviously, but that's not sort of the average guy. Um, so I guess uh, what I really haven't talked about explicitly is sort of engaged about that concept. And I've gotten a lot of feedback about my views on toxic masculinity. You know, I have a 12-year-old son. I, he picks up that stuff kind of from the environment. Um, and I've heard from a lot of men who appreciate and feel validated by that view and they find it um by I think comforting the, and, and kind of a relief the the view that i have that this term isn't helpful that it's kind of damaging and alienating potentially to men who hmm. we want to bring you know into the um use the positive aspects of masculinity i guess and cooperate with men to try to solve some of the problems we face obviously and so i don't think using terms that alienates men or makes them feel ashamed is helpful um but again i'm open to alternative viewpoints so i've heard from a bunch of men who really um are thanking me for expressing those views and i heard from probably two or three women who very clearly articulated and with respect, challenged me on that view. And they sort of articulated the same thing that my hairdresser articulated, was that this is a useful term. It describes something real. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something that has been really interesting for me during the course of these uh, conversations. The What you described with your hairdresser and the gem, that low-level bullying, um, I guess, what is that composed of? Shaming? Um, belittling? Um, yeah, for, he, for him not being, living up to their standard of masculinity, which is like the big, strong, tough guy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, you know, another view that I hold very strongly is that masculinity should encompass um, all kinds of different ways of being a man. You know, I think that's really important. In one section of your book, you speak about hierarchies, and I, I just read this morning, so I might be misremembering uh, this section. Um, you say that there's something about testosterone that causes men to to actually become more in sync with the hierarchy in, in a way that, that, that it kind of plugs sort of, them in even more to yeah so hierarchy um first of all i wouldn't say cause uh and this is a difficult okay, area sort of you getting into philosophy and um i think saying that testosterone i fight about this with my husband actually because he is a philosopher um hmm. saying that it causes any particular behavior i i have a problem with that because it by itself doesn't cause anything it increases the likelihood of a particular behavior given certain uh environmental circumstances or stimuli so okay. it would say lower the bar for physical aggression uh, relative to a woman in the same environment, right? 
so a person with a male typical level of testosterone that they've been exposed to in utero in puberty and in adulthood that will reduce the the disinhibit um, intensity of the stimuli that are necessary to kind of provoke a a physically aggressive response okay so there so that's that's just my explanation about why i think cause is um sort of challenging term for that um Hmm. but your question is about hierarchy and it's clear the evidence is pretty clear in non-human animals that a male typical level again it's lifetime exposure to male typical levels of testosterone Um, and that's important because the prenatal exposure turns out to be incredibly important in um predicting the effects of adult male levels of testosterone so you kind of so it have sets to the have stage that. yes yes and that's important and it also shapes childhood behavior which of course also shapes adult behavior so um the hierarchy it's really um and again there's not really hard data here this is something that's very hard to operationalize in humans because we exist in so many different um social games environments right you have your bus driver thing you have your family thing you have your basketball court thing so there's all these different kinds of hierarchies so it is difficult but what seems to be the case based a lot on non-human animals but also just looking at sex differences in humans is that men are much more attuned to um signals of status attuned to and responsive to so in the environment those signals are much more salient to men than they are to women it's not always the case that high testosterone is going to motivate a man to seek higher status because a lot of men know that that's really not going to be possible for them and they just may use other strategies to try to basically um find mates have sex, whatever, or gain resources like money. You know, they might use other other strategies than trying to compete with other men um, for social status. Um, and I just want to say, uh, what's interesting is if you think about what's what you um, what is salient to you in your environment. Like if you're just walking down the street. So for me, and this is true for many women, if a somebody walks by with a baby. Like I personally, (laughs) I'm just like, that's like a magnet for me. I love babies. I loved being pregnant. I loved, you know, having my little baby son. Um, And when I see other people with a baby, especially little newborns, like, oh my God, you know, I want to go over and look at it and coo at it and have it look at me and investigate it. And my attention is just drawn to that. This is very stereotypical. So this isn't, you know, this doesn't happen for everyone. I'm not saying all women are built to be nurturers. All all women are built to be nurturers. However, this is a very common response. For men, a woman with huge boobs is going to, or even large boobs or a sexy body or whatever it is, um, draw his attention in a way a baby may not. Those are just differences on average. Women may check out other women, but it's usually because they're competing with the other women or seeing what she's got versus, you know, and comparing them mm-hmm. to themselves or mm-hmm. whatever. So there's different 
elements of the environment that are salient to us. And it's my feeling here, and there's some uh, indirect kind of evidence to back this up, that testosterone does have this effect of um, influencing what is salient to us in the environment and affecting what our priorities are in terms of reacting to various kinds of stimuli, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So, yes, I think men are much more concerned with status and striving for social status because reproductively over evolutionary history, that's made much more of a difference for male reproduction than for female reproduction. It's still important for women, but they compete in different ways that aren't physical, you know, et cetera. And status just isn't quite as important uh, reproductively. There is a uh, just the idea that you gave me about um, kind of like a symmetry or uh, but but an opposite uh, between the sexes. It might not be the case. And uh, I think that we can just say once and for all that we're going to venture into the world of stereotypes. We're just making large. We're not saying that anybody has to do anything or be any way, which is we could have a whole conversation right. on why we have to say that. Why is that not just assumed anymore? But when you brought up a woman checking out another woman to size her up, that made me think kind of of a version uh, that we wouldn't call toxic femininity, but uh, right. women, especially young women, being really down on themselves. Yes, yes. And yes. that is a form of toxicity, and that might be a part of her evolutionary makeup to be driven to... I remember my, my sister, just she would start bawling randomly during her puberty. It was always kind of weird. She's like, and she wouldn't even know sometimes like, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. Uh, um, but one time she got really upset because we were watching some, uh, Noxima commercial or, you know, there's this model and she, she, uh, the model with a really perfect round skin. face and the, yeah. yeah. And she, and she just started crying. And my dad's like, well, why, why are you crying? It's like, well, I'll never be that pretty. I'll never be that beautiful. And where, as she was directing oh, that God. inward, yeah. a man, uh, like what you were describing in the gym, they kind of direct it outward. Like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And then they kind of check each other. You know, if that forms a positive feedback loop, that bullying might no, that's help really interesting. certain that's men interesting. build themselves up. But also with regard to your hairdresser, he he's not incentivized by that behavior to make himself better it makes him feel worse Worse. maybe yes no that's there there was so much in what you just said um so one thing i just want to go back to my example because that wasn't a great example of men being concerned with status it's just an example of of attending to different things in your environment and i should have just closed that loop by saying Mm. that men do seem to be more sensitive to signals from other men um, in terms of like eye contact, tone of voice, interrupting, you know, this isn't conscious, uh, body size, potential strength. Uh, all those are, you know, signals of status, um, hmm. that men seem to be more attuned to than women. But what you're talking about with women is something that I've been thinking about also in terms of the sort of flip side of something like toxic masculinity is like, why don't we have a term then if we're going to have toxic masculinity, women can be absolutely horrible to each other, especially, especially online now when, so the way that women 
denigrate each other is different from what men do. Men will tend more often to do it face to face. You can go up and insult a man right to his face or punch him or say, hey, you've gained some weight or whatever, but it's direct and you can respond and then you can reestablish your hierarchy and men are able to resolve conflicts more quickly and effectively than women are because I think that there are some sort of rules associated with with status. Women have a lot of trouble with that, but you can't they can't respond to their attacker the way that men can respond to their attacker because a lot of the time women don't know who is attacked, who started this rumor about me that I slept with 10 guys yeah. in the last week or whatever yeah. it is. You don't know yeah. who wrote on Facebook who who made fun of the way my hair on or body weight or whatever it is on Facebook. And that is pernicious, and it's there's so much damage being done and so much insecurity about appearance or whatever it is, reputation. Um, And there's a lot of research on the evolutionary origins of these sex differences in style of aggression. Um, But what we see happening socially now is that women or girls... Some of them are committing suicide over being uh, having their reputations denigrated um, or being low-level bullied in real life in this te- what tends to be a passive way. You know, it's incredibly painful, um, and that seems like toxic behavior. But we're not making a big deal out of toxic femininity, so I don't think we should have toxic femininity or toxic masculinity we want we should talk about the behaviors and what they mean and maybe they are more likely to be engaged in by one sex or the other but they're not exclusive to that sex and they're not committed by all members of either sex i guess that's my Mm -hmm. issue they're just to bring up more stupid internet drama i think it was yesterday one youtuber went after joe rogan and he just dug into a very big YouTuber went after the biggest YouTuber. Oh, I think I saw this on Twitter. I think it was this also on Ethan this guy Klein, has like a million. Yeah. 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 No, I, he, I there's pictures of him in diapers. Today. He's, you know, he's a tubby little guy. It it's just kind of funny yeah. that, that he in, in attacking Joe and this has happened with Joe. Joe's interesting. You see a lot of this um, status going after Joe. A lot of people go after Joe because he's big and you always know that it's actually yeah. the insecurity that's driving um, specifically men to go after him online instead of like going up to Joe and saying you're a weak piece of crap and exactly you're, you're spreading misinformation and you need to shut right. your trap. Like who's going to win you in do that, that in person? Yeah. yeah. Would you do that? Would you say you that know? in person? So, you know, there's a, you know, the derogatory way of describing that behavior coming from a man would say that that's, that's a bitch move to do that, to not like actually. Right. That's up, interesting. You know? right? But it being a bitch move means you're a pussy for using a bitch move. Yeah. You're less than you're not yeah. masculine enough to do it face to face, basically. Yeah. yeah. But um, without the without the structure, without an honor structure. Yeah. Uh, regulating um, a man's dignity, then those terms don't really mean anything. And I wonder if you could erect a, a honor culture or a dignity that's specifically geared for men to, to you know, lift them above their nature that wouldn't use the feminine as a derogatory term um, or, or to, to cast certain strategies uh, as, you know, 
as less than it and, and then assign them some sort of fe- female characteristic, like backstabbing or going behind one's back or spreading rumors and s- stuff like yeah. that. So you're using the term honor culture. Are you talking about the South? Like, do you, are you using that term for what it um, I, means in terms of upholding certain standards of behavior and punishing those who don't uphold those standards, like politeness in the South that, you know, it's characterized as an honor culture? Mm-hmm. I, Where I wasn't men using it technically, oh, okay. but okay. I was just using that as a, as a stand-in for some sort of manly virtues, uh, yeah. right? Like, yeah. uh, what, what would those be based on? Honor, dignity, we could go through all the different things. But without, without some sort of society saying, you you're less than if you act this way. There's no disincentive for somebody to go after Joe Rogan indirectly online, you know, and, and kind of act that way and, and not like, you know, so-called man up and do it direct face to face. But rather, I have to say, I, I do feel signal. like there's some. Yeah, I mean, but I do feel like confronting someone face to face, if that is the manly way, I would far prefer that than someone using passive aggression, you know, which women are more likely to use. Um, I think that's much more damaging because you can't respond directly. And, so I, I agree with what you're saying, but I still think that the, um, while male-male aggression, the extremes of male-male aggression are, you know, obviously bad, but I think that style of confrontation that sort of more masculine style of confrontation confrontation that is more direct is much better than a, a passive um, form of aggression where you can't respond. Mm. That and is so damaging. What are some of the theories that you are attracted to or that you know of that explain why the female aggression would have developed in the way that it has to use indirect methods of uh, like gossip and things that you've, you've yeah. brought up. I mean, so it's in line with the larger theory of why males are just more physically aggressive across and tend to be, you know, across the animal kingdom and in humans where, you know, obviously males have a larger body size and much more strength and power um, and can gain repro- greater reproductive benefits from physical aggression than women can women are positively on average harmed by risking their health because that is a health and long life. You know, they need the longer their uh, reproductive career and the healthier they are on average, the higher their reproductive success will be, you know, over evolutionary history today. Of course, we, we live in very different environments and there's birth control, but that uh, is the dominant explanation for these differences, not just in how we, um, compete with each other, but in all kinds of areas, you know, that women tend to be more physically cautious, um, than men. And there are good, I think those are very, very strong, uh, evolutionary explanations there. Mm-hmm. And then also thinking more strategically, uh, or, or yeah, more strategically over, over the long term. uh, um, because of the influence of uh, you know, the 
the amount of resources that need to be poured into the creation of a baby causes a woman to be a little bit more choosy and therefore have a little bit more higher uh, cognitive function earlier than males. I see a lot of, in my experience, with wait, children, sorry, what do you mean is, higher cognitive function earlier? Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, in my in my uh, twenty years or so working with children, uh, it yeah. tends to be the case that females are uh, more verbally acute quicker yeah. and are uh, yeah. they they become social and they play start playing social games um pretty cleverly uh pretty a lot quicker than than b the boys tend in to do. smaller groups i mean that is one difference they usually don't play and uh, the, the group size for girls is tends to be much smaller than for boys so they do have fewer moving mm. parts to kind of keep track of Hmm. But and, yes. and so they and so they they establish deeper relationships because it's not as big it depends what or... you mean by deep. I think okay. men establish incredibly deep relationships, but they don't. They're not as uh, they don't require language as much as uh, girls' oh. relationships tend to. And then when we're translating our society into a purely, more or less purely, uh, language based. Um, kind of interaction uh let's just say twitter which you know it's, it's mixed media but it, it's mostly language it's mostly verbal you can't really yeah. get far yeah. on twitter itself without having some sort of verbal um acuity and then also all the relationships are formed through basically this this hive mind dm culture so it's it's all it's all language and what i've seen what i found very fascinating especially yeah. once i started this gender journey that that i'm on and and that you're a part of now yeah. uh, with this with this series is that i've i've interacted and attracted a lot of women and by attracted i just mean attention and you know just basically yeah uh, they, they see the work i'm doing and i'm actually doing a lot you of mean gender cr gender critical women gender critical women uh, post-feminist post-gender critical uh feminists okay. uh, you know just a lot of just women women who identify yeah. as um feminists and women who staunchly reject um ideological feminism at least you know christian women and stuff like that but i i just yeah. notice it's just it's fascinating to me and i don't mean that condescendingly to watch this kind of this female uh, kind of society or this female group especially with, with feminism is very about women by women for women so you, you have their behaviors just they manifest certain tendencies and i you know by getting in trouble with them periodically you see yeah. how uh, I, I violate certain codes and figuring out what the codes are and why they make sense that i should be punished you know reputationally or you know being blocked or whatever because I said something wrong or used the wrong word or I used a word that could be construed in another context as derogatory to women, you know, like a, a pun that yeah. I did could be harmful. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting to navigate the social um, environment. One, because it is virtual. Of, women, of sort of getting specifically into the women's with, social. With women, okay. with women's social yeah. environment. Have you, um, have you had uh, interactions with that? And have you, have you kind of seen in your translation, I don't know how online yeah, you are. a little bit. Yeah. So I should just say, first of all, I don't think that's condescending in the slightest. Like I'm completely fascinated with male behavior because I'm not a man. And I do think you guys are different. And that's basically what my book is about. A lot of women, what's been very interesting is some feminists who I really respect and love their work. Julie Bindle was uh, one of them. Um, her view is much more of a social constructionist view of sex differences, but otherwise we share the same 
feminist goals in terms of, you know, eradicating sexual violence, for instance. Um, but what's, she actually read my book and softened her view there um, and was open to really reconsidering the importance of biology. But I think she, her, her prior view was that of many feminists, which I have a problem with because many feminists resist biological explanations because they suggest that this is natural and that, you know, sort of the most extreme aspects of like, you know, sexual assault or serious physical aggression um, or patriarchy even um, by a biological point of view can seem to suggest that this is natural, uh, that there's nothing we can do about it. It's good because it's natural, et cetera. So I think they just, many of them um, oppose that particular viewpoint. So that's an issue for me in engaging with some of those feminists. But mm -hmm. what's interesting is when people start to change their viewpoints. And that happened a bit with Julie. And, and that was amazing. That was one of the best things for me to hear about um, that happened as a result of just talking about my book and writing Why? the book. Because she's the so kind rewarding? of person I wanted. To, she, she, first of all, I have huge, huge respect for what she's doing. She's actually going around the world. I'm getting teary. She's working, you know, she's devoted her life to um, raising women up. What is meaningful to her, which is protecting women's safety, you know, basically from the threat of many males, which in you know, she's done work in Africa. I lived in Africa for a while. Um, there's incredibly, you know, there's just horrific kinds of male on female violence that is rampant in other cultures. Um, in particular, of course, we have our issues with that here in Western cultures, but she's really in it, you know, and she's done a lot of writing and a lot of research and a lot of field work basically um so so sorry so that was meaningful to me because i have a oh, part of i think what motivated me to write the book and i don't i i don't call myself a feminist i don't really have any labels um but i was irked uh and felt that by the resistance among feminists to biological explanations for sex differences partly because i think if you want to advance feminist goals you have got to understand what is going on and you are you are limiting your ability to do that when you um by default privilege one kind of explanation over another hmm. and so for somebody like her to say you know wait a minute i'm reconsidering my views that it's like I accomplished my goal there, you know, that that was a really big deal. But your initial question was whether um, on Twitter, I think, or elsewhere, the kind of thing, the kind of work that I'm trying to do and the language that I use to communicate it can ever be or has been kind of misinterpreted or have I made missteps that have really pissed people off and totally. Um, so there's I've made actual missteps that have pissed people off and then sort of reconsidered, apologized and tried to reframe. But I've also just really pissed people off by saying things that I completely believe and will, will not take back. So yeah, I've pissed people off for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I don't and know what you're asking exactly. That so-called cancel culture 
Um, would, would it, I don't know if we're allowed to use that phrase anymore. Do we have to come up with another one, or can we? Yeah, just I think use that probably for, should you know, uh, because it's not about what what I've been through. It's not really about canceling. It's about harming. Um, it's about making somebody's life so difficult that they um, hide or they hide their views. Um, and it's not, it, of course, for the person whose life has been made difficult, that can be excruciating. But the effect is, of course, on the people who observe what's happening to that person who uh, has been, I will say, abused. <laughs> so, and um, being uh, put in that position or being abused in that way, I've seen and I've covered a lot of similar um, story arcs, uh, people going through similar things. Yeah it tends to actually describe something about the ideology that's being protected or it, it not only describes the group behavior, but does it give insight into why they would try to harm you to stop you from saying certain things? When you say that, the group behavior, what do you, you mean the people who kind of oppose what I'm trying to do or say? Okay, so if, if you, in your specific yes. instance, go on to Fox News, that's one uh, yes. red flag, okay, uh, which yeah. goes, then you're embattled in the Fox versus CNN MPC war, which I don't really care so much as the yeah. going on Fox News, and then saying male and female are important categories for science. And yeah. that, is that, that is something that you've said and gotten into trouble uh, well, people, I didn't, I mean, that... you know, to be fair, I didn't only say these are important categories for science. I said that, and I don't want to, you know, get into the whole what yeah. exactly is male and female thing, but I said these are important categories. Here's how we can define sex across, you know, many, many, all basically species uh, that are sexually reproducing. And I said, but the ideology seems to be that how one feels about one sex is more important than the scientific facts or something uh, like that. And then I also said, but these facts of biology don't prevent us from treating everyone with respect and um, people expressing their gender, however they see fit, you know, using their preferred pronouns, etc. So a mission that I am on is to try and this has to do with the conversation about the way that some people are resisting scientific facts, in my view, um, to promote a particular social agenda. So I think the resistance that has come at me, um, much of it from trans women and their allies and, and from trans rights activists, is that I am not endorsing a particular interpretation of science or a particular viewpoint that I think um, some members of that particular group would like to advance because it seems as though it's going to help their cause. And so I'm not angry about that because I, I get it and I can see why people would do whatever they think is going to work. And maybe they actually think that uh, um, sex is on a spectrum or it's not really something that is real biologically or, or it is something that's real, but it's in your head. Um, so I don't know what the, they're thinking exactly, but I do really want to push back against this um, trend that we're in now that I think is just sucking the 
something out of us. I don't know. I Mm. I find it very, very disturbing that um, people don't trust science and scientists and medicine anymore, partly because of of the takeover of language, which is something I'm trying to resist. And I do think we need to make the point that we can achieve our social goals and improve, uh, you know, work towards the causes that we believe in, that transgender people should you know, live lives free of abuse and have, you know, all the rights to health care that they need and just be able to go do what they want, basically, and that we can work on, you know, violence, we can work on all of these goals and make the most progress possible by sticking to facts and logic um, and having compassion and listening to each other. Hmm. That's so important to me, but it is difficult to try and advance that cause in a way that doesn't, I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, I don't want to offend anyone, but sometimes I feel like that is going to be a side effect of what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do it in a way, you know, that is scientifically accurate, but also compassionate. And sometimes, you know, I don't do a perfect job there. So that's where uh, there's just been a lot of blowback um, in my personal life um, or in my professional life, sorry, but not on my, not in terms of the responses that I'm getting from, you know, social media or emails I'm getting from people who are overwhelmingly supportive and, you know, love what I'm doing and saying, and it's very meaningful to them in a positive way. Um, It's just that I think when you're in a academic institution, there's a different set of values and norms overall. So that's been difficult there uh i just read today that the dsm-5 is adopting the new terminology uh and they're they're phasing out gender dysphoria and they're replacing it um and then they're replacing uh all these different terms uh so are they using sex assigned at birth rather yeah uh, assigned at birth uh instead of male and female and then um also uh, it's gender affirmation surgery or something along that line so i just feel they should use neutral um scientific terms there but the language is difficult it it, it's an odd turn where we it seems like every once in a while we get a break from this and then we go back into this where you get in trouble for having certain or for speaking about certain truths or certain realities. And if this, if your book came out 30 years ago, you'd be in hot water with another group. Right. Or just no one would care about what I wrote. (laughs) I don't know. Who would I be in in hot water with 30 years ago? I wonder. Well, uh, you were, you're, you're arguing in the book against social construction, constructivist ish, uh, feminism, or you bring up, uh, you kind of, you argue against uh, certain feminist takes, uh, about, um, social versus nature. Right. Formation. Right. And if you, because I don't think there is a nature versus nurture argument, you know, argument to be had. And so if you are going about this project and and sticking to the truth and uh, withstanding the slings and arrows of vicious uh, activist groups uh, and I don't think I'm withstanding. I haven't done a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how um, are there uh, would you mind speaking to uh, the 
realizations or the adaptations you've had to make um, to stick to your principles and uh, and and stay? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Stay what? Honest. Uh, stay above water and uh, stay. What do you mean uh, above water? Stay true to yourself, but also stay uh, within an operating uh, framework where you're still able to go about your life and go forward. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, so the first question was, how am I going to stay? How do I stay true to myself? Or well, how, how have you counter? learned over the, you know, yeah. uh, receiving? Okay, I don't have to learn that. Um, that's just the way that I am. Always? Um, yes. I'm just, I think I was that way from the get-go. I didn't, I guess so, oh, over the years, I think I have learned that um, there's no, it, it comes naturally to me, but I've also learned that I can lean into that, I guess. Um, what is that noise? Sorry, there's some weird noise outside. Um, I do think that so I appreciate it when people are honest with me. I'd rather have, I'd rather know how other people feel. I'd rather have facts. Um, so I feel like I'm doing other people a disservice if I'm not being honest about what I think or what I feel. I feel like I'm rob actually robbing them of something, of reality. Um, and it's, it seems manipulative to me if you're not honest and straightforward and and that to me is just saves energy it's just easier it seems like it takes a lot of energy to misrepresent or uh what you think or feel i do need to learn to not always <laughs> say what i what i think um you know that's something i always have to watch for so other people might have to try to be themselves and be honest i have to constantly try not to um say everything you know that i think so that's important and that's good something thing you I married a philosopher just... then huh now why is that because he tell me he why can, that is. he can take it and he can he can process and you guys can co-process yeah no and... he enjoy yeah he likes to argue he likes to um get into things um yeah. so no i think that might be true um but then the second thing i haven't stayed above water i mean i've had a and 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 i'm not i just want to say that i'm not trying to paint myself as a victim i'm painting myself as a psychologically complex person like everybody else i have a history with depression and it's has been devastating to give most of my adult life to my work and then to feel attacked by people who I feel like I've given so much to. And and I'm saying people instead. I have been saying the institution, you know, an institution, but there, it's people. I'm sort of now realizing, no, there's, it's not an institution really. It's just a bunch of people. <laughs> so that's been very, very difficult for me. And it might not be difficult, so difficult for somebody else. It's difficult for me because of whatever my own, you know, history is or current stressors are. But the point is that um, it's not just canceling. And I think that when you say cancel culture, that really isn't, that can be a damaging part, you know, professionally say, 
Um, and that has been damaging professionally for me, but, um, it's really more, it, it just sucks and hurts and it's people who you might have trusted say, or done a lot for, or thought were your friends who, who wouldn't care more about their reputation than they do about doing what's right or about your friendship or whatever. But that seems, that's kind of my experience here. And that is extremely, I feel that I've been naive, you know, and now I'm kind of seeing how the sausage is made. And I don't know why I hadn't seen that clearly before, um, but, but that's been very difficult. At some point you um, had a crisis of faith in the institution of, of academia. Is I'm that, having, uh, I'm in the midst of a crisis okay. of and, faith. And it's and it's so not just academia. Cha- it's also hard. I have to say it's Harvard um, okay. that I is um, I've been working so hard for so long that now that I have taken a bit of a break from teaching and advising and writing. And, um, you know, I just took a few weeks, but now I'm sort of seeing things. I didn't have time to even see or consider before. And it, it sounds like you, you've begun to make a distinction between the institution of Harvard and then the people, the, this bunch of people, or even maybe even say the, the culture um, that, that you're witnessing. Yeah, it's a, no, no, people. that's right. It's a culture. And there are, it's not that individuals are so awful, although I have been hurt, you know, by pe- individuals, but they are caught up in a culture that rewards certain type of behavior and that's difficult for me because well i'm not in their position i'm not some big shot tenured professor um i'm a lowly lecturer without tenure You're so kind it of a is big shot. Okay. well but the but people who have a lot of power within institutions have much farther to fall if their reputations are damaged than i do I'm lower down on the ladder. I don't have that far to go. So I think I'm an easy victim. I think women are more likely to be attacked around these issues. But I had sort of expected that the people with power who know what that I've been devoted to this particular institution and done it, you know, given a lot to it, that those people be in a position to protect me or advocate for me. But it's in some difficult cases, it's been the opposite. Um, and that's what's kind of devastating because those are people, those are your relationships. That's now I'm just having to figure out how to navigate that and what kind of changes I need to make. It sounds like you're early in the process of processing this, but I, I'm wondering if you can describe the culture because it, it might be the case that the culture that you are witnessing um, harming you or hurting you at least is in other places or or it's endemic throughout. uh, Oh, it definitely is. It definitely is. I think each institution is going to, it's going to be implemented a different way, but yeah, of course I've heard so many stories of people who where it's been much, much worse and you you've seen some of that firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and that was a while ago, right? So when was the whole, how long ago was the whole oh, Evergreen thing? Evergreen, we're going to come up on a five-year anniversary in May, so. Wow. Yeah, because really it does seem one. like it's the last five or six years that things have really been changing. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have... And it's it's been hard. I am trying to understand it, and I've been doing a lot of thinking and trying to understand people's behavior from an evolutionary point of view. 
And I find that fascinating. And it really is, I think, the from an evolutionary point of view, reputation within your social group was everything, you know, so important for access to resources, for valued social relationships, for health, for survival. You know, you could be killed or um, left for dead, excommunicated basically yeah. for bad behavior. And it's not that everyone observed your bad behavior. It's because there's talk, you know, potentially about your bad behavior where you've broken the social rules. So I do think that we've evolved this really sensitive detection system for so that kind, that particular kind of social threat. And so in, for the people who have power, that detection system must be even greater because they are in an environment where they do have power. They want to retain it. Of course, that's another evolutionarily, I think, um, shaped aspect of our psychology. So to me, there is, you know, we can make sense of all this, but when it happens person, you know, to you personally, it's, I was really shocked at how difficult that was. I thought like, Oh, I'm going to go on Fox news and I'm going to say what I believe. And I'm sure some people are going to be upset, but blah, blah. But I didn't really understand how it feels when it's your personal relationships. Uh, can we call this toxic institutionalism or to toxic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I so know. I wonder, do you have any um, insights I, and, and we can wrap up uh, soon. Okay. Do you have any insights about um, specifically about people witnessing the punishment of those who stray from whatever given ideology it's going to be. But right now it's for some reason it's glommed on to sex and gender. And then there's, the, there's also race is a pretty hot button topic as well. I mean, if you right. mispronounce a Chinese word in, in a class and you record it and it sounds like a American. Oh my God. Word, can, right. You know, right? So, right. So it's just off the rails. Right. Um, <clears throat> are there ways of fostering, of, let's say, and I'm using this slightly facetiously, but hijacking certain evolutionary mechanisms to encourage yeah. people to be courageous in, in this moment. I mean, this has been one of the most difficult things is that people, in my view, have not been courageous, you know, on behalf of me, like that's something that would have been so meaningful. Um, and it's been dis so disappointing. Uh, even when it's, it's not just lack of courage, it's lack of doing the, doing the right thing. So I know that people are scared. Um, and that's real. This isn't just people are saying this over and over, but it's real. They are petrified that their reputations will be ruined. And that is serious or even damaged. You know, the reputation's just being damaged. People feel vulnerable. They're worried about their careers. They're worried about their income, but they are worried about how they're perceived by their graduate students, by their colleagues. That's the life that they live. And th those relationships are important. So it's a huge risk to take to support someone who has violated the rules right the ever-changing um, byzantine complex purity rules 
I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. So evolutionarily, I think the only thing that will work is for it to come from the top down for there to be a structure of what the rules are and what the rules should be. So from those at the top to say, this is who we are. This is the kind of institution we are. We believe in academic freedom. We're an educational institution. So we believe that ideas should be evaluated and debated. And that's how we're going to learn about reality is when ideas are tested and that requires open discussion and debate. There should be no censorship, you know, and that's not happening. University of Chicago has a Chicago principles, but in general, everybody's capitulating. So I don't know what the answer is, but I do think that it has to come from ultimately the the rules have to be, um, made explicit, you know, that I just articulated, but what can come from uh, that can be influenced, of course, by donors, by professors, by grad students who believe in what I'm saying and what other people are saying, you know, who do what they can to pressure their administrations, although people are afraid to do that. But if you're some powerful person with tenure, you you're not going to lose your reputation by writing an email. I don't think you know saying you you want some principles of free speech and academic freedom, et cetera, to be implemented and articulated and enforced, so people know what to do when they think someone has said something controversial and harmful and offensive. Hmm. So people don't know what to do, and they're reacting out of fear, which is just to capitulate. So that's my so. Opinion. Without going the whole route of alternative institutions and moving to Austin and starting a new college, uh, finding some sort of square to have uh, these philosophical discussions and biological discussions, um, you you think that there might be uh, rules or protocols that could be standards, yeah, norms and standards, Yeah. yeah. And that those norms have undergone over the past probably 10 years, but rapidly, I mean, we can go all the way back to, we can go back into history about this, but over the last five years, they've been implemented by fiat across institution after institution where the rules are no longer defined or the rules have gone from truth, like uh, height would has argued they've gone from right. truth to social justice or uh, you know, to avoiding of harm and then the expansion and the swelling of this term harm to encompass anything that violates what people's sense of power or sovereignty it, I, it's infinitely gameable i don't think or it's, it, it's so but that kind of um if enough people say that they are being harmed um then I guess it's the institutional reputation, right, that is under threat. So then the higher-ups in the administration capitulate. So that has to, how do you prevent that? How do you prevent that kind of response to that? I I suppose it's threat to reputation. I don't know how else Mm. to think about it. Well, you could quantify... Somebody in your position could quantify the harm that you've undergone and then stack it up against the harm that your statement has caused. Maybe just maybe we can get Elon Musk to invent an app that could do such a calculation. But I mean, I, yeah, no, um, I that's funny, <laughs> but but I don't think it harm should be part of the equation. My harm or anybody else's, really. Oh, okay. Um, it's okay for me to be harmed 
it's okay for people to be harmed by my words. Harmed meaning okay. they felt sad or they felt offended. And and you begin um, and end your book with with such an experience of of being um, um yeah 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 having thank a really strong reaction to to a scientific paper about no uh, thank you and I rape think and that sort of fly scorpion fly yeah. yeah so yeah I was really offended as a graduate student by a discussion of rape that naturalized it and you know I was just starting grad school and I have a history of sexual assault and I. Um, yeah, I was really angry. And I said that this guy is an asshole, the author of the paper. And I hurt now, even just talking about it, just remembering that how awful that was to, to be, or how awkward it felt for me to be in that seminar and feel, why don't other people feel the same way I do? Um, and to feel like invalidated in some way by that paper, this can't be right. Rape can't be natural because I was raped and it was horrible. And but that's, I had to go through that to learn to be a scientist, to, to learn to, how to think about um, facts and theories and hypotheses. And what, what um, tripped the, what pushed you over the edge to, to say, no, I, I have to put my feelings. Uh, okay, so imagine, yes. So imagine if the professor had, in fact, and I write about this in the book, because if he had, stop the discussion or said, do you need to leave or whatever? If he had kind of indulged my emotionality and, and tried to comfort me, <laughs> I'll just say what he did was he kept reorienting me as I was having an emotional response. He kept, I wasn't like crying. I was, I was obviously though upset. Um, he, kept saying to me, what do you make of the argument? What do you make of the thesis presented? You know, what do you make of the research? He had to say it over and over. Hmm. And I don't know, it finally got to me. And I think, you know, there was another go around of the discussion. When it came back to me, I think I was able to begin to analyze the evidence. Um, and I'm not saying that the tone that someone, you know, I think he used a bad tone in the paper. Like, I don't think it was written with enough sensitivity, but that's a separate issue. Toxic um, scorpion fly doctor. Right. right. <laughs> well, but I would have been patronized. I would have been treated as less than a, you know, competent scientist or competent budding scientist. And in retrospect, I feel that I was respected as someone who is capable of doing what I needed to do, even though in the moment it might've made me feel better to be comforted. It wasn't the place for me to be comforted. I'm in a graduate student seminar talking about science. It's a place for me to learn to engage with the science. And that doesn't mean that we can't be sensitive you know, undergrads are, I think, somewhat of a different story. Um, we have to be sensitive and cautious, but I don't, I think we should expect our students to learn how to engage even with very difficult, challenging viewpoints and not indulge all of their emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's a long way of saying, yeah, sometimes people are going to be hurt and offended. And I think that's something that we should not lean into that's something we Not should build the help entire education around thank you thank you yes yeah 
It's an educational institution. That's the point here. Um, I just, I'm, I'm struck by your, you have such a high sensitivity and emotionality and, and such a high level of intellect and, and, uh, processing power. And it just, you just seem like somebody who can be in two worlds at the same time and, and see profound amount of feeling in, in a thing or profound amount of empathy, but also can process the, you know, all these different mechanisms and, and, and see the truth and stuff. I just, I'm Thank astounded. you for saying that. No, that. thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I just want to say that I think the reason I'm attracted to my field is precisely because of my emotionality. It makes me feel you know, like tearing up all the time. Like I, it makes me feel a little bit out of control. And hmm. um, I feel like I can have more control through understanding things. And my way that I want to understand things is through science. Um, so I think that it's, I do this because of my <laughs> emotionality. And it, it um, I'm sure that the interplay of those two aspects of you, uh, causes the uh, amount of engagement that you are able to elicit going through like endocrine systems and how things plug into things. And you're just a great storyteller too. And I think the, the storyteller well, is you. able to take the information and also take the, 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 the other, the human aspect, the feeling aspect and, and be able to wed that. So. That's, I'm glad you said that because in teaching, we're teaching about life. We're teach I'm teaching about, you know, the endocrine system, but we all have endocrine systems. They shape who we are. They and they shape our emotions. It's important to for in people's lives. And people can have um disorders or differences of their endocrine function that profoundly shape who they are in sometimes ways that are really painful for them. So it's not just science, it's people. And I think um yeah, students respond, I think, when you care, when they're, you know, instructors care. So you, you have this book out. Um, do you have other resources that people can get in contact with you and, and feast upon all of your uh, intellectual droppings? <laughs> they can visit my or experience my droppings. Um, I have a website. Um, I made it, I run it, you know, but I still think it's pretty good. Um, and it's carolhooven.com and Carol has an E on the end. And, uh, and then I have a, um, right. C-A-R-O-L-E-H-O-O-V-E-N.com. And I have a Twitter account and it's at Hoovlet, H-O-O-V-L-E-T. And I did the Hoovlet thing ages ago. Cause I have, um, three older brothers. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone else, but I feel like the, the wee Hoovlet of the family or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my online presence. Basically, have you recorded my... any of these uh, seminars or these lectures, or are, are you planning on doing that? I think. That oh God, no! I can't. I don't. I don't allow to them to, to oh. be. Oh, because we really get into it. I mean, it's very. We get into a lot of um, controversial and personal stuff in there oh, okay. and plus i say all kinds of stuff i would never want um the public well, to hear maybe, maybe but i probably someday. said a lot of it well here. just just like uh just like uh geeking out on car videos um i'm sure that there's a, a audience that would just uh, absolutely be uh fascinated and, and benefit by that but all, all in good time okay 
Carol, thank you for uh, joining me on my tiny little show. And it was a pleasure speaking Benjamin, to you. Benjamin, I just, I love your show. I'm a big fan and you're doing something really different that I don't hear on other podcasts. And it's so what you do. I, it's so interesting the way that you, I don't know, um, engage with people and I love it. And thank you. And thank you for having me and all the nice things that you just said. <laughs> I'm going to stop the recording. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was an interesting one to choose. Gender, wider lens. Um, okay. Actually, I yeah. haven't heard. And oh, I, Sasha I, and Stella. Sorry, sorry. I got confused because I was thinking of Aaron and Aaron, oh. the trans men. Yeah. And they have transparency. Um, yeah. Sasha and Stella. Okay. Yeah. They're amazing. Aaron and Aaron are great too. They're great too. And that was a whole, they were just like, you interview us and ask us whatever questions you want. So oh. I dove right in there and I wanted to know what the content of um, male sexual fantasies was from a, a woman's point of view. And they said that they started objectifying women once they took testosterone, even before their bodies changed. And they described what that is like. Hmm. Um, not because if you grow up as a male, I think it just is like, yeah, you don't realize that you're maybe actually objectifying women. But if you grow up, you know, as a female and then transition, you're like, fuck, I don't yeah. want to be doing this. Oh, really? Focusing on her ass. And it's not all about the relationship. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like a whole different way of being in the world. And that's like what, what one thing I'm really dying to hmm. um get my head into mm -hmm. like oh. the male the male head and okay yeah yeah there's a whole um there's a whole media um kind of genre uh, uh that that excels at doing that what is that media genre it's called pornography it's oh. on the, <laughs> the internet <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. 